Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello and welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, Emerging Communications Technologies and Regulatory Implications for Disabilities Access. I'm Josh Guyon, a partner in our Washington, D.C. office, and I'm joined by my colleagues Avani Bell, also in the D.C. office, and Jameson Dempsey in our New York office. Advancements in communications technologies, the apps economy, and latest personal devices are presenting new and unconventional ways for consumers to communicate via text, voice, and video with other people as well as with devices. These modern communications tools have significant potential to improve communications options and interactions for people with disabilities, but can also create new areas of inaccessibility for some. The FCC and Disabilities Access stakeholders have generally acknowledged the potential benefits to people with disabilities of these new technologies. Additionally, many larger companies have begun to market the inherent accessibility of services like messaging apps, chatbots, and connected home devices as a feature. The focus by some in the industry on the potential opportunities for people with disabilities is a positive step because increased accessibility can not only meet regulatory obligation, but also presents a major market opportunity. Ignoring the needs and concerns of the broad and diverse community of consumers with disabilities means that companies could leave a large percentage of the consumer market untapped. It is important to recognize that accessibility concerns impact not just those who are born with an impairment, but all of us who may develop these challenges during the course of our lives, particularly as we age. Josh, I would add that while many of the larger technology companies that provide some of the new communications capabilities we are going to discuss today may be aware of the importance of inclusive or accessible design, many others, including small companies and startups, often do not. In the current technology landscape, the new, innovative services are often provided by such companies that have not devoted time or resources to understanding their regulatory responsibilities or how to improve the accessibility of their offerings so that people with disabilities can access the potential benefits. At the end of 2016, the FCC's Disability Advisory Committee approved a recommendation on IoT that summarizes this issue well. The committee stated that IoT has the potential to impose new challenges for people with disabilities to directly interact with IoT products, services, and features, or to interact with IoT-powered services intended to offer modes or capabilities for user interaction if accessibility is not accounted for in their development. As newer communications and connected technologies grow in prominence and availability, the implications for people with disabilities will become more important as these consumers will come to desire and expect access to the same modern communications capabilities that others in the marketplace are using today. Today we will discuss some of these modern communications, the possible policy implications, and a few things providers can do to ensure their products are inclusive, accessible, and compliant with applicable regulatory obligations. Okay, the FCC has had authority to ensure communications technologies are accessible for people with disabilities going back to the 1996 Telecommunications Act. The first included traditional telecommunications services and later what are called interconnected VoIP services, which are IP-based voice services that allow users to place calls to the traditional telephone network. 
However, the 2010 passage of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, or CVAA, enabled the agency to regulate a broader scope of services and equipment. This includes services known as Advanced Communication Services, or ACS. ACS is defined to include interconnected and non-interconnected VoIP service, electronic messaging, and interoperable video conference services. These terms have been defined in the statute and interpreted by FCC regulation, but there are still a lot of gray areas that may leave many providers unaware or uncertain about whether they are required to comply with the ACS rules and how to do so. Furthermore, the FCC's rules have the potential to be altered within the limits of the statutory definitions if the agency determines it's necessary at some point later to ensure the accessibility of new communications. I think we have provided some useful context to help set up this discussion. Now let's turn to some of these emerging communications methods. Well, Josh, one form of communication where we are seeing a lot of advancement and changes that could be both enabling and challenging for a person with disability is messaging. As you just mentioned, the CVA covers electronic messaging, which is defined as a service that provides real-time or near-real-time non-voice messages in text form between individuals over communications networks. Messaging is a tool that has inherent features that make it an accessible form of communication for people who may have difficulty with speech or hearing. Most people are quite familiar at this point with traditional text messaging as a communication method provided by their wireless carrier that is native to most mobile phones, even non-smartphones. This method generally allows users to send text and some images or multimedia files, but not much else. Traditional text messaging via SMS or MMS technology protocols, which stand for Short or Multimedia Message Service, is still one of the most popular forms of messaging today because it is available as a base functionality on everyone's phone. There is, however, growing use of various over-the-top or OTT messaging services, which are available for download, usually for free, and operate over the Internet. These OTT messaging services, like Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Signal, or Snapchat, are gaining in popularity because they provide consumers with significantly more communications options and features. There are a set of features that are common to most OTT apps, but are still more advanced than traditional texting provides. These include things like the ability to share more vibrant images or graphic-intensive content in messages. Also, they can make video or voice calls. OTT apps also offer special features that differ based on the provider, such as the ability to broadcast messages. This is a one-person voice message sent to multiple other people. They can engage in fully encrypted communications. They also have the ability to have their messages self-destruct after a period of time, or they can participate in a social media environment with many other users. Since the CVAA covers electronic messaging, the text features of native and OTT messaging services are covered by the rules in some capacity. Apart from the inherent accessible nature of message communication, native text messaging apps generally have a more inclusive design that works well with assistive technology features offered by the underlying operating system, which is usually Android or iOS. Since wireless handset manufacturers and service providers have accessibility obligations, they ensure that any native texting capabilities meets accessibility requirements. OTT service accessibility, on the other hand, may vary depending on whether the OTT service is built to the specifications of the operating system's accessibility APIs, which is the application programming interface. 
Still, some OTT messaging services offer unique, advanced features not available via traditional text that can improve communications for those with disabilities. These are features like video chat, which is great for those who want to communicate by sign language, and voice transcription, which allows individuals to turn audio speech into text for those who have hearing loss. So these technologies offer features that could be helpful to people with disabilities, but if not designed to be inclusive, then these consumers may not be able to even access these features. I also want to mention briefly an ongoing discussion about changing the standard for native messaging that could affect its accessibility and interoperability. Currently, there's much discussion about updating the interoperable technology standard for native messaging to something called RCS, Rich Communication Service, which would allow for a richer, more graphics-intensive communication experience with functionalities similar to what users can now get with OTT messages. This alteration of the native text messaging landscape will likely come with some growing pains about how to ensure the services features are usable and accessible to people with all kinds of disabilities. Additionally, while the current native standards have been adopted by all wireless carriers and device manufacturers, allowing for interoperability, that is not the case yet for RCS, which will present a number of other issues if it is deployed more broadly. This is something we will have to continue to watch to see how the technology and policy landscape evolve. I will now turn to Jameson, who will talk about the accessibility implications of artificial intelligence, including chatbots and the use of virtual or augmented reality. Thanks, Avani. You know, many commenters have noted the benefits of artificial intelligence for people with disabilities. For example, large platform providers like Microsoft or Facebook or Google offer free assistive technologies that include automated image and video captioning, text readers, and real-world navigation tools. As technology improves, we can expect to see even greater benefits for the disabled community. In the communication sphere, one of the more prominent uses of AI has been for conversational AI, or chatbots. Chatbots appear as conversational interfaces like traditional instant messaging services, like electronic messaging services, uh, but rely on human-to-machine communication and AI elements to power the conversation. For people with disabilities, chatbots provide certain advantages, including reduced anxiety for individuals with cognitive impairments uh, or offering a more streamlined navigation user interface than websites or traditional apps. At the same time, chatbots can pose challenges. For example, researchers have found that some screen readers have trouble recognizing uh, and activating buttons and images and text fields within chatbot windows, making it difficult for people with disabilities to use them. To the extent that a brand uses chatbots for online ordering or customer service, such challenges can lead to a frustrating user experience and even the inability to meaningfully interact with the services and the brands themselves. Today, it's unclear to what extent existing communications accessibility laws and rules apply. Chatbots aren't common carrier voice communications, so Section 255 of the Communications Act wouldn't apply. Similarly, because bots themselves are software rather than humans, the chatbots wouldn't meet the definition of electronic messaging services that Avani mentioned earlier. That requires a human-to-human -human conversation rather than a human-to-bot conversation as you have with chatbots. 
However, as chatbots grow in prominence and become more anthropomorphized and incorporated into existing electronic messaging services, consumers may come to expect the same accessibility and usability as human-to-human -human conversational interfaces. As such, we can expect increasing pressure on the CVAA to incorporate chatbots within the context of the law. Another area I'd like to discuss briefly is virtual reality and augmented reality. VR and AR are computing systems that create immersive experiences that either impose an entirely new environment or incorporate virtual elements into a user's existing environment. Now, it's unclear whether we're in the midst of a VR or AR boom or yet another hype cycle. This has been going on for decades. Uh, but one thing is certain. Some of the biggest technology companies in the world are investing heavily in these technologies and view them as the future not only of gaming but of communications and social interaction and education more broadly. Now, AR and VR systems often have both hardware and software components, including head-mounted displays, microphones, hand controllers, and headphones, along with software like menus, video, audio, and text. The systems also allow users to navigate through virtual space by moving around in a physical space. As such, while many aspects of these systems raise traditional accessibility challenges, things like text-to-speech or speech-to-text or video descriptions, the immersive nature of VR and AR present new challenges that will require significant work. For that reason, it's important to ask what these systems are, from a regulatory perspective, and whether the existing accessibility laws even apply. At least in the context of the CVAA and ACS, the answer is unclear. On the one hand, the systems have elements of IP video and video games and set-top boxes for which the Commission granted temporary waivers from the CVAA requirements because they weren't designed with the primary purpose of ACS. A similar analysis could apply to modern AR and VR systems. However, as the uses of VR and AR and apps built on VR and AR systems extend into communications, whether that's messaging or video conferencing or even holographic communications, an argument could be made that the software itself is primarily designed for ACS and therefore that the CVAA should apply. If VR and AR manufacturers and software developers were to seek a waiver from the ACS requirements, the analysis would turn in large part on how the services are marketed to consumers. That is, what is the consumer's expectation? Are these designed primarily as communications tools? Are consumers buying them under the assumption that they're communications tools? Or are they something else altogether? And while many of these AR and VR use cases are still a bit on the horizon, the inaccessibility of AR has already resulted in criticism from the accessibility community. After the release of Pokemon Go, several disabled gamers criticized the lack of accessibility of the game, particularly for users with vision and mobility challenges who couldn't fully participate in many of the core interactive components of the game. As VR and AR grow in prominence, the need for accessibility will only grow with it, along with calls for regulation. So if you're an AR or a VR equipment manufacturer or software developer, 
I'd encourage you to look at the laws and rules governing accessibility as well as many of the best practices that are out there for web accessibility and video game accessibility. In addition, you should reach out to the disabled community. Demonstrate your application or service or tool and figure out where the gaps are and ways to solve any accessibility challenges to make your software or your equipment as accessible as it can be. Now with that, I'll turn it over to Josh. He's going to discuss the IoT. Thanks, Jameson. So as Jameson mentioned, the next area we'd like to discuss is IoT and the growing connected home and personal assistant market, which consists of devices and services that are enabled by voice automation and the internet. Think of Amazon Alexa, Google Home, and for example, Ring Home Security Services. The accessibility considerations for these services are interesting because unlike OTT messaging services, their primary functionality is not necessarily communications. Rather, the focus is often on enabling users to automate functionalities in their home, like the thermostat, security cameras, door locks, or lights, or to use voice-activated internet functionality without having to get on their mobile device or computer. And those can have tremendous accessibility advantages, for example, for people with low vision or who are blind. Nonetheless, these offerings, whether through the device or a separate app, often provide consumers some functionality that allows them to communicate with others. For example, many companies are now offering internet-connected home security and environment control technologies that allow users to monitor and control home functions via an app on their phone or tablet. Some of these technologies, such as the Ring Home Security Service that I mentioned and August Connected Doorbells, allow the app user to talk with people in their home or standing outside. Other technologies like Alexa and Google Home allow users to place calls between the Alexa device and users with an Alexa app. I can tell you my six and four-year-old daughters love the fact that between Taylor Swift songs, they can tell Alexa, call daddy, and it will ring through to my Alexa app on my phone. There are even functionalities that allow a user to broadcast or make an announcement that will be distributed to all the connected speakers in the person's home. These capabilities raise questions about whether or not they might be covered by the CVAA as non-interconnected VoIP service. Non-interconnected VoIP service really is app-to-app -app calling. If these services allow consumers to make calls to the traditional telephone network, however, like calling the local pizza place, then they may be considered interconnected VoIP for regulatory purposes, which would present a number of regulatory commitments beyond the disabilities access realm, including universal service fund contributions, E911 obligations, and CALEA law enforcement interceptions. Now that we've discussed how these emerging communications methods may be implicated by the CVAA, we should discuss how providers of these capabilities can begin to incorporate accessible design in current or future service offerings. Josh, I think it is important for providers of ACS or other new technology providers that may want to expand the applicability of their services to a broader customer base to recognize that the most effective and often easiest way is to consider inclusive design factors early in the development process. While the CVAA compliance rules do require accessibility performance objectives, addressing several specific disabilities, they do not outline specific features or technologies that must be offered in ACS to be compliant. The rules require manufacturers and service providers to consider performance objectives at the design stage to address disabilities such as visual, hearing, cognitive, or motor impairments as early as possible and to implement where achievable. This means with reasonable effort or expense. Therefore, if service providers keep some of the following key considerations and features in mind when designing, it can go a long way towards showing efforts to make their technology accessible for those with disabilities. 
One of the key considerations is that developers should ensure that their tools are assistive technology friendly. An example of a key assistive technology is a screen reader that is used by people with visual impairments. A screen reader allows people with visual impairments to read and understand what functionality is available on the screen that they aren't able to see. Screen readers cannot read or interpret the meaning or purpose of an element from how it looks visually. Therefore, the information about what a particular button or link does needs to be in the underlying code. Therefore, if a developer provides a functionality that has a visual difference, such as bolded or bigger text compared to other text that's on the screen, they need to put some kind of description or explanation in the underlying code that allows the screen reader to understand why this is different and what the purpose is so that it can be relayed to the user with the visual impairment. Another way that developers can ensure that their technology is accessible for people with disabilities is to enable users to be able to resize the content and this should be done in a way that does not negatively impact the display. Sometimes as you make the screen smaller or bigger, it can distort in an image. And it's important that a developer keep this aspect in mind so that they can see how variations in size will impact the usability of their service. Because one of the key ways in which consumers with disabilities are able to use a lot of products and services is the ability to sort of modify features as needed, whether it's the size of the text, and we can also talk about color contrasting. And so that goes into the next thing, which I wanted to talk about, which is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines version 2.0 or WCAG 2.0. This is another way in which they can allow consumers to alter and modify the environment with respect to color contrast requirements and standards in a way that will suit their particular challenge or needs. Another thing I wanted to talk about is updates to apps and software. We live in an environment right now where applications on our phones, our computers are constantly getting updates. And a lot of these updates are important because they provide, whether it's security updates, latest features, a variety of reasons why a developer may push out a new version of an app. But for consumers with disabilities, this can sometimes present a challenge because if they become familiar with a particular layout and setting or They've set the application to be in a way that they are used to, and every day they're getting a new update that causes those settings to now disappear. They're essentially having to start back from version one and figuring out how to operate the service. And it can create not only an inconvenience for them, but also a general difficulty in their life if you have to spend every day for each service that you're using to go back and relearn the menu and all these different types of features. So it's important for developers to keep these kinds of things in mind as they design it and think about whether there are certain features that may not necessarily need to be updated as frequently as others. One of the last things I wanted to talk about as a way that mobile app service providers can think about how to make sure that their app or service is accessible to people with disabilities is accessibility APIs. APIs are offered by most operating system providers, such as the big ones like Android or iOS, that are designed specifically to address accessibility concerns. These software providers have developed these APIs with specific specifications that allow the developer to access the underlying accessibility features that are available in the operating system. 
But in order for an app or a service to be able to properly access them or a user to be able to use those features within the app, the app often has to be designed to those specifications. Some examples of accessibility features that are enabled by designing to an operating system API are speech recognition functionality, adjusting size of the fonts, screen magnifiers, speech-to-text capabilities, and a number of others. If you go on your mobile phone today, there's usually a section that is for accessibility, and you can see the different types of features. And these are features that people who may not even have a disability may decide that they want to use because they just find it more convenient. They like bigger font for whatever reason. But these are all features that sort of have been incorporated into your phone based on the accessibility API of the underlying operating system. And while they may work for the native functionalities on your phone, new apps and services that you download may not always enable you to take advantage of those functionalities. So that's a key way in which some of these service providers can start thinking about how to make their services more accessible to people with disabilities. I want to close by noting a startup that I just read about that provides an example of how awareness of accessibility needs and design into the API matters. A developer of a project management app that offers messaging capability called Asana wanted his father to be able to use his creation, and his father is blind. So he specifically designed it so that it had enhanced support for VoiceOver, which is the Apple operating system iOS feature that serves as a screen reader for mobile phone content when the feature is turned on. Since the app relies heavily on visual cues, the designer was careful to ensure that all the visual elements had descriptions in the underlying code and cues to explain what a particular action does. This effort is demonstrative of how keeping design considerations like this in mind can alter the user experience for people with disabilities who want to engage with and use these new and emerging communications tools. Well, this has been an interesting discussion. Hopefully, we have provided some initial insight for service providers who are offering new communications technologies and features to think about whether they are being inclusive to the full marketplace of consumers and also be aware of possible regulatory obligations to design ACS in a way that is accessible to those with disabilities. As these technologies advance and become critical to consumer needs and expectations, we generally find policymakers and advocates for those with disabilities wanting to ensure that consumers with disabilities can enjoy the advancements. Therefore, we encourage new communications technology or service providers to seek counsel to understand the application of the rules to their offerings and to generally employ more inclusive design principles that will enable them to capture a larger segment of the general public as customers. Thank you for joining us for today's Kelly Drive Full Spectrum podcast. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Drive and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.